If you have your Bibles with you tonight, please turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to read the first six verses. I suppose if anyone was to ask me what my favorite portion of Scripture was, it would certainly be um, these first six verses in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we not we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight that there is indeed still room at the cross for the whosoever that will call upon the name of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have a message to proclaim. It is the only message really worth hearing in these dark and evil and wicked days in which we are now living. Father, we thank you for our brother's ministry tonight in song. We thank you for our pastor here, Bertie, and his wife, Pat, and we pray that you'll bless them and their family. And Father, we know that we can look forward to revival because when revival comes, this church will be packed. And so, Lord, we pray that you will put it in our hearts to look forward to that day, to aim for that day and to pray for that day and to be ready to pay whatever cost is needed to pay in order to have that day in our own generation. Father, we pray that you'll come now and be very near to us as we look a, take a fresh look at this portion of Scripture tonight. Bless us through your word. Speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When Paul wrote to uh, the Thessalonians who had been enduring persecution, he sought to comfort them by reminding them of what he had first taught them when he had been with them. And that was, of course, the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church to the air. In the first few verses of this chapter, the Lord Jesus also attempts to comfort the hearts of his disciples in light of his impending departure from earth. And he says here, let not your heart be troubled. This was a message for his disciples, but it's also a message for his people today because it's very easy to get troubled in these days. We can be troubled at the blatant disregard of democracy in our land. We can be troubled with the forced introduction of baby murder. We can be troubled at the redefinition of marriage, which has now been imposed upon us. And of course, we can be troubled by any number of personal issues that's going on in our lives, uh, which no one else knows about. 
But Jesus says here, let not your heart be troubled. You see, Jesus Christ is still on his throne. God is in complete control. This war is already won. And as believers, we are on the victory side. Evil men and women in politics foolishly think that they can play God and they think that they are in control. But of course, Pharaoh thought he was in control as well. And we all know how he ended up. Friends, let me tell you tonight that heaven is bursting at the seams with children. And most of them are there as a result of abortion. Some people give off about noisy children being in church. Well, I would say that there's no point those same people going to heaven because the laughter of children is heard in heaven from one end to the other. There is only one thing worse than noisy children in church, and that is having no noisy children in church at all. Noisy children means that the fellowship is growing, so we shouldn't stub the growth of the church. Jesus tells his disciples that the great plan of his suffering on the cross and dying for the sins of the world and of his ascension to reign in heaven is to prepare a place for them in his father's house. And at a future time, he would snatch them from this earth and receive them in a brand new glorified body and bring them back to heaven, never to part again. What Christ said to his disciples then, he is saying to his people today, let not your heart be troubled. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on with your neighbors, in your home, in your work, let not your heart be troubled because this world is only temporary. It is only a blink of an eye. He says, I'm preparing for you a home in heaven, a home that will never end. I am about to come back. And when I do, you will be the very first one to know about it. Here's a verse for those who might have had their assurance battered by demons this week. Isaiah 41 and 3, or 43 and 1 says, Thus saith the Lord that created thee, and he that formed thee, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. That's a verse of comfort for every little miracle in the womb that is going to be executed this week in Britain and in Ireland. Thus saith the Lord, I have created thee, I have formed thee. Fear not, my little creation, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Let the wicked have their day. Let the Sturgeons and the Clintons and the Stella Creases have their day. But as Jeremiah 5 and 31 declares, what will they do in the end thereof? But the disciples here were ignorant about the things of God and especially about the return of the Lord. They, of course, had no reason to be ignorant and neither do we, but they were ignorant. They had dreamt, I suppose, of a temporary kingdom of great pomp and uh, power of a government that would hammer the Romans into the ground and a government that would put the Jews back in charge of Israel. But of course, Christ had said, my kingdom is not of this world. And this was all too much for Thomas here. He still didn't grasp that fact. Jesus didn't come to sort out politics. He came to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And once his mission was completed, he would return again to heaven. But doubting Thomas was, first of all, to be known as Baffled Thomas. Because he says here in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then came that simple yet profound reply that 
cuts to pieces every thought and invention and religion that man has come up with to get to heaven for the past 2,000 years. As the Master says here in verse 6, Thomas, I am the way. Not a way, but the way. To say the way obviously implies a place to which it leads. If we were to get into the car tonight and drive up to Stangmore and take a right, we would go onto the motorway and we would end up in Belfast. And you could do that journey a thousand times, but your journey would always end up in Belfast because it is the way to Belfast. And as long as you stay on that motorway, you will always be in Belfast and it will be impossible to end up anywhere else. In the previous verses, Jesus said he was going to heaven. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. So to get to that beautiful paradise and to get to God, Jesus is saying that he is the way, and if you go this way, it will be impossible to end up anywhere else. So we're going to take a little look tonight at this text in verse 6, where Jesus simply says, I am the way. It is God's way to heaven. And first of all, we see here the destination of this way. You know, wonderful and beautiful are the descriptions which the inspired writers of Scripture use to give us an idea of heaven is really like. To describe heaven, they have selected the most elegant uh, language to plant a perfect picture in our minds of purity and perfection. When John described heaven in Revelation, he actually almost ran out of symbols and comparisons. He ended up giving us a list of things that definitely would not be in heaven, such as sorrow and death and crying and pain and night. I was hiking along Sleeve Bay uh, last week. Sleeve Bay is that sort of mountain range on your left as you're traveling between Clocker and Five Mile Town, and there had been a, a forest fire, uh, fire up there a number of years ago. Uh, it destroyed much of the, plant, the, the, the plantation, but the fresh heather was beginning to grow, and the leaves were beginning to fall, and the trees were changing color, and the, the air was fresh, and the, the mountain water was crystal clear, and of course the silence was golden. And you know, the thought came to myself that, well, if this is what earth is like, then how much more beautiful will heaven be? You see, God just took six days to create the world, but he's been working on heaven, our home, for the last 2,000 years. And so, friend, I hope that you're ready to go, because when you do go, you will not be disappointed. According to Jesus, heaven is a real place, and there are a number of things I want us tonight to remember about heaven. It is the residence of a deity. You see, God lives there. And Jesus sits today at his father's right hand. Peter described heaven as a kingdom and as an inheritance. The book of Hebrews describes it as a country and a city. But here, the Son of God describes it as a home. He says here in verse 2, in my father's house. It is also the residence of a family. The inhabitants of this home are the happy, contented, glorified family of God. This is a home of all the saints from all the ages who received that well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. This is a family of sinners that have been saved by grace. These are God's children who have accepted by faith the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Home, of course, is a happy place. 
a place that when you arrive there, they just have to take you in. Home is a place where you belong. This family includes the saints already there and the saints that are still on earth, but traveling home to God. And folks, if we're saved tonight, that's what we're doing. We're just traveling home to God. We're just pilgrims passing through. Ephesians says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. But we also see that heaven is vast and extensive because in this house are many mansions or many rooms. There will be accommodation available for all who die in Christ. The Bible says many sons and daughters will be brought to glory. Jesus says they shall come from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. John saw in his vision in Revelation a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues which stood before the throne and before the Lamb. When on earth, of course, we know that Jesus was a carpenter and now that he has returned to glory, he continues to build his church on earth and builds a home for that church in heaven. But we also see that this residence of the saints will be permanent. These are durable dwellings, you see, and these mansions are built to last. Some are now saying that Stormont is a failed experimental project. Well, heaven, friend, is no experiment. This place is built to last, and as God's people, we're going to enjoy it forever. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will give you rest And this is the rest that he was talking about, an eternity of rest. When we Christians move from earth to heaven, we simply change our address and we will be more alive than ever before and we will live forever. Jesus says, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You know, in this life, there is no certainty. There's always going to be accidents and incidents and illnesses and death can come suddenly and shockingly. But for the one who is prepared to meet God, Paul says, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. So no matter what happens down here, we have a home in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. On earth, everything is momentary perishing and decaying. Food will rot, cars will rust, people will decay, but heaven is a place where we will never grow old, a place where everything retains its beauty and its brilliance forever. And I wonder, friend, tonight, is this home your home? For some of us, maybe the foundations have just been laid, but for someone tonight, maybe your mansion is now fully furnished. Maybe there's a fresh bunch of flowers sitting on the table. Maybe even there's a card sitting next to the flowers which says, Welcome home. Maybe for someone listening, you're going to be reading that card later on tonight. But perhaps for someone listening, there is no mansion. Perhaps there is no home at all because you you have no preparations made because you foolishly made this world your home And you've given absolutely no thought for eternity. Tonight, you know, when you go to sleep, we're all guaranteed to waken up in one of three places. We're either going to waken up 
on earth or in heaven or in hell. To end up in hell, you just don't have to do anything. You just have to keep on doing what you're doing now. You see, the Bible says we are all sinners and the consequences of that sin is death, both physical death and spiritual death. Sinners are already condemned. You don't have to do another thing. You're already going on your way to hell. But there is a way to escape. There was a rescue mission sent from heaven for you. John says the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And that really brings me to my second point, because we see from our text that Christ is the way to heaven. If you're currently on your way to hell tonight, then this is the way off that broad road that leads to destruction, because Jesus says he is the way. Jesus Christ is your way to heaven. You see, heaven would be of absolutely no value or worth to any one of us tonight if we didn't know how to get there. I could tell you of its splendor, of its street of gold. I could tell you of its pearls and of its precious stones, of its dimensions. I could tell you of its protections, of its angels. I could show you in the Bible how the glory of God will, will, will be everywhere. But I'd be wasting my time. There would be no point in me encouraging you to go there if there was no way to get there. The whole point of the gospel is, however, that you can be there and that you can know how to get there. You see, even though by sin paradise has been lost to us, yet by faith in the Son of God, paradise can be regained because Jesus is saying here, I am the way. I am the way. And he has always been the way. And he always will be the way. He was ordained, qualified, and appointed for this great purpose. Adam went to heaven by this way. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went to heaven by this way. The prophets, they all declared this way, proclaimed it. Christ and the apostles, they declared it. It is the sure way, and it is the only way. And now, friend, it can be your way. You may have a parent or a grandparent or a brother or sister that have went to heaven by this way. And if you're ever going to see them again, then you must go this way yourself. If it were possible to question all the happy souls that are in the glory tonight on how it, how it was that they came to be in heaven, they would all reply with a multitude of voices, we washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We came not by our own works of righteousness, but by the grace of God, and we conquered this holy mountain by the ladder of Christ's atoning blood. We must never forget that salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but is a gift for the guilty. And boy, is this way needed in our generation. We could think about our own condition tonight. If you're a sinner, you're excluded and cast out from the presence of God. You have no access to God as you continue in your rebellion against him. Your human effort, your good deeds, your Willingness to go the extra mile to be that good neighbor, it will not bring you one inch closer to heaven. None of these things will unlock the gates of paradise to you. Steve Lawson said, Good works do not produce salvation, but salvation will produce good works. If all the goodness of men from Adam to this present time could be collected and concentrated and imputed, 
into one individual and that one individual be presented to God at the great white throne, God would cast that individual immediately into the lake of fire. Why is that? Well, because Jesus Christ has said he is the only way and all the righteousnesses in all the world are his filthy rags. He is the only one. He is the only way to God because he alone bled and died for sinners. The blood of Christ is a power to atone for an infinite number of sins committed by an infinite number of people throughout all the ages and all whose faith rests in that blood will be saved. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, without spot, paid and full the sin debt that we owe to God. When Christ cried, it is finished, it meant that the entire work of redemption was completed forever. You see, Christ is the way to God. The temple curtain separated the Holy of Holies where God dwelt from the rest of the temple where the people dwelt. And this signified that men were separated from God by their sin. When Christ died, the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. His sacrifice and the shedding of his own blood was sufficient atonement for our sins. The way to the Holy of Holies was now open for all people for all time. 2,000 years ago, Christ opened up the way to God. He is still the only way to the Father today. As the way he sets the conditions of our salvation. He insists tonight upon repentance and faith before we can embark on this way. You see, folks, there must be a divorce between you and your sin before there can be a marriage between you and Christ. Jesus began his preaching ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent ye and believe the gospel. And then, as any good preacher does, he hit the nail on the head when he said about the consequences of remaining in sin. And he said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You know, at least with Brexit, if you reject the deal, the fallback is a no-deal Brexit. But at the end of the day, you'll still get Brexit. But if you reject God's way of salvation, the reality is there is no alternative. It's either God's way to heaven or the highway to hell. You see, there is no access to heaven for unbelievers tonight. They have no one to walk them through the valley of the shadow of death. They have no one to take them by the hand to the gates of heaven and plead mercy for them. There is no other way. If you want to make that journey to heaven, you must hold tightly to the hand of Christ. He alone can usher you into the presence of his Father. This way is recognized by several wonderful characteristics because it is a plain way. You know, some ways are difficult to find. You will have routes to plot, roundabouts to navigate, crossroads to contemplate, traffic lights to negotiate, junctions to turn at. But there is nothing difficult to understand about the way to heaven. A child can understand it. A fool can understand it. A drunkard can understand it. A rich man, a poor man, they can all understand it. Those who comply with the conditions laid down by this way are gladly welcomed welcomed by a God who rejoices over a returning sinner just like the father did when his prodigal son came home from the far country. We will be welcomed by Christ who says, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. 
We will be welcomed by the angels who rejoice over one sinner that repenteth. And of course, we will, will be welcomed by our brothers and sisters already in the glory, eagerly awaiting our arrival. It's not only a plain way, but it is also a free way. You know, I would maybe travel to Edinburgh a couple of times a year. That's where our Bible college is. And I've discovered that the cheapest way to get to the Bible College in Edinburgh is to go by bus and boat. And if you've got uh, a day to spare and a good book to read, then I would certainly recommend that way. I get on the bus at Ballygolly at the park and ride at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I get off the bus at Buchanan Bus Station in Edinburgh at 6 o'clock in the evening, and I can take as much luggage as I like, and it costs me £49 return. And it's a bargain. But the whosoever that calls upon the name of the Lord can get from earth to heaven free of charge. Friend, it won't cost you a penny, which is exactly the remedy that poor, broken sinners require. We have nothing to pay, as Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. All the blessings of salvation are without money and without price. For Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure just to give you the kingdom. It's a safe way, and no matter what your journey entails, it will end with joy and happiness as you enter your glorious heavenly home. It is a safe way because his angels minister to those who are heirs of salvation. It is a safe way because God says, I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. It's also a safe way because Jesus says, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. It's also a pleasant way. You know, the ways of the world are not pleasant. Bullies at school, STDs, hangovers, fights in a nightclub, road rage, racism in sports, sectarianism, discrimination, rapes and murders and violence in the home, children being abused. Wars, abortions, injustice, gay pride parades. The ways of the world are not pleasant. We know that. The way of the devil is not a pleasant way. And yet Christ is offering a pleasant way to everyone tonight. He calls it a life more abundant. This way offers safety from the world. It offers comfort from trials. It offers comradeship with fellow soldiers of Jesus Christ that are also walking this way. It offers a real purpose for living and it offers a genuine reason reason for getting up tomorrow morning. And I would certainly recommend this way. Even when the dark clouds form and storms arise, it is still a pleasant way. Even when false accusations are brought against you, even when the death angel snatches a loved one from your home, it is still a pleasant way. For weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh. In the morning. The apostles gloried in in tribulation. You remember Paul and Silas? They sang praises to God even when they were beaten, even when they were thrown into prison and chained to the floor. The martyrs, they went willingly to the stake rather than to recant their faith in Jesus Christ. How did they do it? How did they endure it? Well, because the assurance of a heavenly home enables us to bear with joy the beatings and the battles along the way. Even Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed 
in us. They say that the book of Philippians is seen as the happiest book of the Bible. And yet, the book of Philippians was written in a prison. You see, your circumstances do not determine your joy when you walk this way to heaven. The God of this world is also the God of the religions of this world. And make no mistake about it, there are thousands of ways tonight, but the end of those ways are the ways of death. The Lord's statement here at the end of verse 6, where he says, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It simply wipes away any other possible way to heaven. Because, friend, there is no other way. Christ is the only way to heaven. He is God's way to himself. And if you're not on this way, then, friend, it's time you were on this way. Now is accepted time. Jesus didn't tell us to go and have dialogue with this rotten world. No, he told us to go into the world and to preach this message. Why? Well, because this is the only message worth preaching. This is the only message that there is. And Jesus is the only Savior there is. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved.